the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another episode of the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Today, we are going to speak with Yinam Cohen. He is the Consul General of Israel to the Midwest. And we are very pro-Israel on this show, but we're very open-minded as well. I, I would be willing to talk to anybody on this show that is a decent person and has something to say and points to back it up. And Yinam Cohen has just that. We're going to talk about Palestine. We're going to talk about Hamas. We're going to talk about Israel. And most importantly, we're going to talk about what gives him hope in the future. And that is coming up with Yinam Cohen next. It's time for the Michelle Tafoya podcast. Yinam Cohen, thank you so much for being here. These are strange, difficult, painful times. Um, I haven't spoken to you since before October 7th, so let's just start there and your first reaction to what happened that day. You know, it is the most devastating day in the short 75-year-long history of the State of Israel. We experienced the biggest terrorist attack in our history. We're talking about at least 1,200 people that have been killed in Israel, the vast majority of them civilians. But it's also the scope and the scale because they were murdered in the most barbaric way one can imagine, much worse than ISIS. So this is where we're standing, and still then, since then, you know, we went on a war on this terrorist infrastructure of Hamas to restore stability and security in the region. What have you made of the reaction? The uh, it, 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 Quite frankly, to me, it's been astonishing, the pro-Palestinian and, frankly, pro-Hamas reaction around the world. What what do you make of this? You know, here in, in this country, I want to speak about the United States. We've seen a lot of uh, marches and demonstrations that are pro-Palestinian, and as you're saying, pro-Hamas, because what, we're, what they're chanting there is basically um, not only praising Hamas and the act of so-called resilience, I don't know how burning babies alive is resilience, uh, but they're also chanting something that should be very clear to everybody. What they're saying is, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. And, you know, there's a lot of naive, I would say even stupid college kids who follow that that uh, chant, but we have to explain what that means. When they're talking about the river to the sea, they're talking about all the territory that's between River Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea. That's basically what con- what contains today Israel, the West Bank, and the Gaza Strip. What they mean is that they want to wipe out Israel of the map to establish a Palestinian state. And that is very, very dangerous and anti-Semitic. But Michelle, with your permission, I want to say something else. Because while we're seeing all this hatred and violence on the streets, the numbers are not that significant. And if I'm looking at, at real numbers of people that went out to demonstrate, I was also looking at the 300,000 who gathered in Washington, D.C. this week to say three things. 
They said, we support Israel, we stand with Israel, we want all the hostages to be released immediately, and we stand against anti-Semitism. And that was a very, very important message. So the media tends to, in many cases, echo the, the margins, the fringe, but I don't think that this is the mainstream. And I lo I'm looking also at polls in the United States. And every, all the polls are very consistent in showing that the mainstream of, of the American public opinion stands with Israel, and I think this is a strong message. Do you think that the seat of American power, the president of the United States, the vice president, stands strongly enough with Israel? I think that what President Biden was a show of leadership when he arrived to Israel one week after the terrorist attack, showing not only solidarity with the people of Israel, but also um, translating that into, into real action in deploying to uh, aircraft carriers and other you know, military forces and sending ammunition to Israel. So I'm grateful to President Biden. The reaction, however, we've had military bases all over the region, U.S. military bases that are there to support and uh, attacked. Uh, and yet the response has been lukewarm. I'm not sure that's sending the actual message of strength to Iran, who is prop, you know, propping up Hamas. What do you think about that? You're totally right in identifying the major problem. And the major prob problem, the major issue in the Middle East is Iran. Iran is, is, is you know, the epicenter of, of the axis of evil in the Middle East, with proxies deployed all around the region. Their fingerprints are really in Lebanon, Hezbollah, in the Shiite militias in Iraq and Syria, Hamas and the Islamic Jihad in the Gaza Strip, and the West Bank. The Houthis in Yemen, for the first time since, you know, in, in history, ballistic missiles, I, I, would, I should say Iranian ballistic missiles were shot from Yemen to Israel. That's 1,000 miles. So definitely this is the major issue. How we should deal with Iran, I have a, I have a very clear uh, understanding about what we should do that. Iran should be isolated, um, Iran should be sanctioned, and Iran should get the clearest message that this way that they've chosen should not uh, be allowed in our region. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So how comfortable and confident are you in this idea that the sanctions that were released, the sanctions that have been eased, uh, first six billion with the prisoner exchange, and then another ten billion this week. You know, they say it's only for humanitarian use. Is that possible? You know, we're conducting a very close and intimate dialogue with the American administration, a dialogue amongst friends, which does not necessarily uh, mean that we agree upon every issue. 
So sometimes we might have uh, nuances and we discuss them behind closed doors because that's uh, what friends should do. But I want to take your point even further because appeasing, I would tr try to appease terrorists has never proved um, the right way. That's right. what the international community tried to do for many years with Hamas in the Gaza Strip. You know, a lot of billions of dollars of humanitarian aid was sent to the Gaza Strip. Did it reach the people of Gaza? No. What happened is that Hamas took all the, not just money, even, you know, supplies, pipes for, for sewage. They were taking that to build a huge terrorist infrastructure. Right. We're talking about more than 500 kilometers. That's 300 miles of underground tunnels all across the Gaza Strip. It is the biggest underground infrastructure in the world, and it is not serving the people of Gaza, just the terrorists. As the American administration two days ago just confirmed that they, they are using hospitals and schools as infrastructure to launch a terrorist activity. So this is a major problem, and appeasing terrorist organizations never works. Never, never. And yet we've got heads of Hamas reportedly living large in Qatar and other places, particularly Qatar. And I'm wondering if you think Iran should be isolated, are there other places that need to get that same message, if you will? Absolutely so. And I think you, as you, as you mentioned, Qatar has been playing a double game for many, many years, uh, being supposedly, um, you know, first establishing relations with every possible terrorist organization and Iran in the region, and then using its connections to this, you know, terrorist organizations to position itself as a mediator with the West. Right now, they're invested in, you know, in the negotiations to release the hostages. So I, I want to be cautious in what I'm saying right now. But I think that this double game, again, cannot uh, last forever. Let's even talk about some of the media outlets that they've been financing for many years, like Al Jazeera whose headquarters are in, in Qatar, and they are a major source of concern because they praise terrorism, they uh, legitimate terrorism, they whitewash terrorism, and this is something that's very dangerous. It's very dangerous, and it's hard for me to understand why more people don't see it, or maybe they see it, but they don't speak out about it. But uh, to get back to your point about the, the march in Washington, D.C., about 300,000 people filled the National Mall in Washington, D.C., and it didn't make the front page of the Washington Post like all the other riots and do, it, it, you know, marches do. Uh, it, it was in the metro section. And so we're talking about the Washington Post here. Um, this is, uh, I, to me, it was a little stunning. What, what did you make of that? Stunning is a very diplomatic word to describe <laughs> that. I think that, you know, since every demonstration of 500 pro-Hamas supporters is amplified in the press, I would expect a lot of much more coverage to this peaceful, amazing, large, historic demonstration. It is the biggest pro-Israel demonstration in the history of the United States. Um, but, you know, I can, I can talk about so many differences between this demonstration and what we see on the streets. First, it was super, it was peaceful, yes. unlike the pro-Hamas demonstrations. 
people in this demonstration was Washington DC did not feel obliged to cover their face with kafiyas as it happens in other demonstrations. It was a bipartisan demonstration. Both Republicans and Democrats were there. You know, the Speaker of the House and the Leader of the Majority, uh, of the Minority in the House, Leader of the Majority in the Senate. It was a bipartisan thing. People were talking about love, not about hate. People in the demonstration in Washington recognized the suffering, and there is suffering in the other side, while the other side is ripping uh, uh, posters of kidnapped kids held by Hamas. So I think that, morally speaking, it is very clear, I mean, who stands in the right sides of history. And I wish the press would, I would say, echo that in a better manner. Well, at least in a fair and objective manner. I mean, it seems yes. to me that they're just putting a, their bias on display. And, you know, journalism has been trending in that direction for a long, long time. And it's just, I think people are finally maybe waking up to that and seeing that we're paying attention to the loudest voices but maybe not the most voices and the wisest voices. exactly it, it's it's it, right now as you and i are recording this there is a protest on the bay bridge in san francisco that connects the east bay to to the city you know of san francisco and you know there's a lot of traffic being stopped and i again this we see this in a lot of these sort of radical movements they choose really disruptive ways to gain attention, and it works. The cameras are there. The news coverage is there. Um, and so I just, you know, it almost feels like an unfair fight, and that has to be discouraging. How do you get past that day-to-day? -day? I think, Michelle, it's a larger problem. It's, it's part of a larger issue. And because while we see these demonstrations that in many cases uh, praise uh, Hamas and the terrorist attack against Israelis, it is part of a larger problem because look at the university campuses, for yes, example. Yes, yes. The culture that has been created in some of the academic spaces is appalling. Um, the anti-Semitism in the past week has been exploding, especially in university campuses. I think it's a part of a larger culture that you, of course, deal with a lot, and that is um, maybe the identity politics. You know, yes. one, I, I just read about one professor today that said in the university in Illinois, she was, uh, she was you know, she, 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 she was excited with, with the terrorist attack on October 7th against Israelis because it, it was an act of resilience after 75 years of white Israeli supremacy. Now, you have to be so ignorant to say that because first, this Israeli, speaking to you right now is not white. This identity politics, the, the way that uh, ident American identity politics is projected towards the Mis Middle East is, is, is ridiculous. Half of Israelis arrived from Arab countries. My grandparents arrived, are, you know, Arab Jews. They arrived to, in the 1930s to Israel from Yemen, from Iraq, from Egypt. We have a huge African-Israeli community that Israel is the only country in the world that proactively brought communities from Africa to live in Israel. We're talking about the community, the Jewish community, uh, in uh, Ethiopian community in Israel. So this is ridiculous. And this identity politics in some of the academic spaces in America has gone so, I mean, further, so far away from reality. It is yeah. totally detached from reality. And I think it is time to bring back the discussion to, to the mainstream. I, this is, I think, the goal of, of our generation. I'm looking at kids at you know, getting the information from TikTok. Yeah. And I don't want to even start the discussion about who's behind TikTok. But right. I mean, 
This is this is outrageous. This is appalling. You know, right now, you know what's trending on TikTok? Just yesterday, the letter from Osama bin Laden a yeah. year after 9-11. Young Americans are reading that and starting and saying, it has changed my, my, my viewpoint of the world. How ridiculous, how dangerous this is. This is what we have to talk about. You are so right. And it's I think it's in the universities because it started at, at even younger levels. I know kids are being exposed to this before they're even 18 years old and off to college. So, you know, it's, it's, it is dangerous. And, and I, I would ask people to, who suggest that Israel is an apartheid state. Do they even know what apartheid means? Because you can just look at the international law, you know, and see Israel is not an apartheid state. What would you say to those people? I'm trying to address the facts because people, prefer today, unfortunately, especially younger people or far-left progressive, prefer to speak not about facts, but about feelings, about perceptions, about narratives. And I think we have to bring back the discussion into the facts. And the facts are that Israel has more than 20% of our population that are Arabs. They're Israeli citizens. The vast majority of them are Muslims. They're, uh, you know, Supreme Court judges. They're fellow diplomats. There are, of course, ministers, um, parliament members. Many of them right now are fighting in Gaza against Hamas. Many of them have been killed by Hamas. More Around 50 uh, Israeli Muslims have been killed by Hamas on October 7th. Right now, Hamas is holding Israeli Muslim citizens hostages in Gaza Strip. So, you know, this dichotomy of this really simplistic dichotomy of of white and non-white, of oppressing and oppressed, of Jews and Palestinians is so simplistic. And we have to talk more about the facts. People need to understand the facts. But many of them refuse to talk about the the facts because they prefer to to talk about feelings and narratives. Yes, it's exactly right. Uh, I remember where I was on October 8th, the day after, and hearing about everything and having someone who was with me say... Well, this is awful, but, you know, I am sympathetic to the Palestinian cause. And I thought, but you're talking about two totally different things here. This is Hamas. This is Iran's proxy attacking savagely innocent people. So now they've they've used this as a way to conflate those two ideas. The other thing that's been astonishing to me is that you've seen interviews uh, with people in Gaza, interviews interrupted because the the people the, the the normal average people in Gaza are saying why are Hamas living among us i've seen two of these interviews and then they just they're cut off have you have you noticed that absolutely absolutely and and you know i i say to those people too by the way i'm also sympathetic to the palestinian cause i want the palestinians to live decent life i want every palestinian mother and every palestinian child to have really a decent future but Hamas is not about that. No. They don't care about the Palestinian no. cause. They don't care of the two-state solution. They want to eradicate Israel. They want a one-state solution, a Palestine, a one Palestinian state over the whole territory. As President Biden said, they're not interested in, 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 in peace. They're interested in killing as many Jews as they can. And this is what they're doing. And one of their spokespersons just, you know, last week said, we'll do it over and over again if we can. So what we have to guarantee right now is that they cannot do that uh, again. This is our goal. 
Well, before I let you go, then I, I want to ask you a question that I ask almost every one of my guests and, and you in particular, this is, this is an important question. What, what gives you hope right now? Let me tell you what gives me hope. Um, in two weeks from now, we're going to host here in Chicago a delegation of young leaders from the Middle East, from various countries in the Middle East, including Saudi Arabia, the, the, the United Arab Emirates, Morocco, Egypt, and Israel. And they're going to speak about the common future that we have together. You know, just three years ago, Michelle, you know that very well, we uh, established, we started the Abraham yes. Accords, the biggest accomplishment for peace in the Middle East, which brought together Israelis and many Arab countries. We were right before October 7th negotiating the expansion of the Abraham Accords, bringing Saudi Arabia into the Accords. And I think the interests of the moderate Arab countries in the region have not changed. They still want to have peace with Israel. They want to enhance the circle of peace. They're now understanding, they're now understanding even better than uh, before October 7th that Hamas and radical Islamism is not just a threat to Israel. It is, it's a threat to the uh, stability and the order uh, in their countries. So they understand that their future is with Israel, not with Iran and not with Hamas. So that brings me a lot of hope. Yeah, I think uh, those Abraham Accords and the developments that were forthcoming um, really didn't make Iran very happy. And the timing is not lost on anyone. Uh, Yenem Cohen, it is wonderful to speak with you. Uh, I'll say it loud and proud. I stand with Israel. Um, I, 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 We are your friend. And I, I hope that you're right. And I, and this, I'm going to be watching for this, this leaders, these young leaders coming together in Chicago. I, I, I pray that it goes well. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Michelle, for having thank me. You. Thank you. As always, folks, I end the podcast by saying, be brave and do good. And we will see you next time. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.